May the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So the readings today are the same as they were three weeks ago, if you remember. Because we find ourselves, actually four weeks ago, where two months in a row, where the 29th of the Coptic month fell on a Sunday. So on the 29th, the Church, as we said before, celebrates the Annunciation. So in recent times, um, one of the modern cantors, Ibrahim Ayed, added the resurrection and the and um, the nativity to it. But it used to be that the church only celebrated the Annunciation. And so they didn't choose the 29th randomly. It was because the 29th um, of the Coptic month of, of Barmuda, or Parmuti in the Coptic, falls usually during Lent. And because of it, we didn't always get to celebrate um, the feast. So last time we spoke mostly about how to discern the, wor- the will of God through looking at St. Mary. But um, instead what I want to do today is that since it ended up happening more than once, I want to talk to you about why is it even a big deal? Why does it matter, the Annunciation? Why did the Church care so much that they made sure that we made um, some kind of festival or some way to remember the Annunciation? So to understand this, you have to go back, obviously, in history. We did this last night for those who are at Asheya, um, at Vespers. But the, these things only make sense in the whole context of our salvation. Everything that the Church celebrates is celebrating a historical event as it pertains to the whole history of the salvation of, of humanity. So, as we've said many times, the Lord created us and didn't need to create us. right? He created us completely and purely because of His love for us. And what he gave us was his own image and his own likeness. In other words, he created us to be identical to him. He gave us the ability to have his characteristics, even though by nature we didn't have this. And the example we gave yesterday was imagine if you as humans decided to look at the ants and give them the ability to be you for no reason, not because you want help to do something, not because you wanted something to serve you or to be your slaves, but specifically just out of your love, you said, I'm giving you everything that I have. You can be rational like me, you can create like me, you can do all these scientific things that I can do, you can have my emotions, everything that I have, I'm allowing you to have. But the ant, by nature, is still an ant, right? So even though it's able to behave like me, and I've given it by grace, as we say, I've given it as a gift, the ability to be like me, an ant is still an ant, and a human is still a human. Okay, so I've been given the ability to be God by grace, okay, I've been given his attributes, but it is not my right. It is not what I am by nature. It is what I am only as a gift. And what God gave us was the law, and and this is what was spoken of in both the Pauline epistle and in the Catholic epistle today. right? I was given the ability to be like him, but I was given the law. And the point of the law was simply so that I know what I'm supposed to be. Not to be a, a, a yoke over me, but because if I don't have a ruler, I don't know what a curved line is or a straight line is. If there doesn't ex- exist an objective measure, I won't know. So all this was important because of this important thing, which is sin, okay? Because sin was going against the straight line. Sin was going against what it meant to be godlike. Sin is like when the ant, instead of using its newfound gifts of being like a human, decides it wants to act more like an ant, 
right? So if it acts more and more like a human, it will resemble a human more and more. But if it decides not to act like a human, it becomes more and more like its original nature, like an ant. When we choose to sin, we become more and more like animals, right? Because we are defying, we are, we are working against the image and likeness of God. So one of the analogies that the fathers used in discussing sin was disease, right? Is that it's the equivalent of like a bodily disease, but something in the spirit, right? And that's how we see it. So if you can imagine that God created humans, gave them this gift, and instead of preserving this gift, right, you can read a lot about this in On the Incarnation by St. Athanasius, instead of preserving this gift, man decided to trample all over it. In other words, what the, exa- the example that St. Athanasius uses is that God drew a portrait, right, of himself, the image and likeness. He was the painter, and the canvas was us, and he drew onto us his own image and likeness. And what we did was throw paint at it, we scrapped at it, and it started losing its image. In the context of disease, if you can think of what's going on with humanity, as we continue to sin more and more and more, because within no time out of the garden, within no time, first of all, we, we decided to, to defy what he asked us to do, right? Within no time, we had our first fratricide, Right Within no time we saw that humans were saying, I don't care, I'm going to take over heaven, I'm going to build a tower and go up there. We, were, we, went, we went nuts. Right? We ended up becoming more and more animalistic in our nature. Right? We ended up losing this knowledge of God because we were getting so sick. So if you can think, for example, of a disease that takes over the world, that starts off just as a single person, and then it becomes an epidemic, and then it becomes a pandemic. This is what happened. Everyone got more and more and more and more sick. And everybody became non-functional because of their sickness. Imagine if the whole world became a leper colony. The whole world. Not just a small little area, but the whole entire world. And they're waiting for and dying for somebody to come in with the vaccine, somebody to come in with the cure, somebody to come in with the medication that's going to make them functional again. This was the state of the world, this was the state of the whole world waiting for Christ to come. Because disease had taken over. The problem was, no human had the ability to heal it. Right? Nobody had the remedy. Because everybody was sick. Right? So they were all limited by their disease. And this disease that took over was sin itself. And so God was sending over and over different people to comfort the people and to tell them, if you do these things... You, you could get better. This is what he was trying with humanity over the process of time. So he kept on sending people. So after it didn't work to just be human altogether, he sent them prophets, right? And he said, actually, before the prophets were the judges, okay? And the judges came to tell them, this is what God wants from us. This was the law. This was what he was told us. Here's the, the manual of how you can maintain your health. This is how you can be functional. But the people said, well, we don't like that. And they kept on defying it and getting more sick. Then they said, okay, well, we want kings. Everyone else has kings. Give us a king. So he said, fine, have a king, right? But still, follow the manual, because whether you have a king or don't have a king, this is how you get sick and die. So follow this. I'm okay with your king. But the king needs to be an example to follow these precepts that I've put before you so that you learn the right thing. But they didn't. The majority of them didn't. He had the random good one here and there in between. Okay? But they got more and more sick. So, so sick to the point where at one point, they completely forgot 
about the law. They forgot about Passover. They forgot, it would be the equivalent today of us forgetting the whole concept of communion. It reached that point where one good king found his Bible, kind of like sometimes in, in your homes where you have to brush the dirt off your Bible, um, discovered in hiding um, the old the, the, the Pentateuch, the, the five books of the law. And it was like, oh, we haven't been doing Passover forever. This is a problem, right? That's how bad that it had become. And so the people continued, continued to live in sin. And so the Lord said, well, you know what? The deal was you be my people and I be your God. You've chosen not to be my people. I've begged you. I've chased you. I've run after you. I've done all these things. Okay, now I'm going to leave you to your own will. Your own will is that you don't want me. No problem. I, we, you can act and pretend like I'm not here. I'm, unfortunately for you, still here. Okay, but we'll act like I'm not. What this resulted in was the captivity. So we're talking about thousands of years of history between God and man. They go into captivity and eventually they repent. God has mercy and brings them back. But for 400 years after they come back, these lepers, to go back to the analogy, are still sick and they don't know what to do. And for 400 years after all of this, God has not spoken to them. There has been zero communication between God and man. And this was the state of the world. There was just, now it was complete darkness. At least before, there had been some form of dialogue going on. At least before this, there had been prophets, there had been judges, there had been kings. There was some mouthpiece by which they were able to hear God communicate with them, to give them some kind of hope, to give them some kind of feeling or reassurance that everything was going to be okay. But for 400 years, there was absolutely nothing. It was total silence. This is the backdrop of the Annunciation. This is why we, we celebrate the good news. Because imagine this whole leper colony living for so long, for thousands of years, with no hope for a cure. And for the first time, some good news has come. Somebody has come, the angel Gabriel, that's why we call him the heralder of good news, the angel evangel. Okay, comes and says, peace. This was a big deal. Peace was finally on its way. There's going to be a solution. And he comes and says, you know what? You have been in darkness, but hail you favored one. The Lord has found favor. With, you have found favor with the Lord, and he is coming. For the first time, there is news that the doctor is coming. This was the state of the world, and finally, the doctor was going to come. We weren't going to necessarily anymore be held captive to sin. This disease that had taken over us finally was going to be cured. So when the angel says rejoice, good news, glad tidings, what is the good news? The Messiah is coming. Okay, finally the person that has been spoken of, that has been promised to you, is on his way. Freedom is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is around the door. And these are all, in and of themselves, sermons on their own. I, I won't go there. So God was coming to restore the nature of mankind. Okay, not to punish us, not to say, well, I gave you this gift, you don't like it, I'm going to take it back forever. Instead, he says, I will renew it within you. You couldn't do it yourselves, because you didn't design yourselves. You're the ants. Right? An ant can't remake the human. Your sins, what you did is you disfigured yourself. Right? You maimed yourself. You're unable to function properly because you caused yourself damage. I can fix that. 
I can fix that by taking your humanity and restoring it because I am the author. Right? I am the one who made it. It is my own image. I was the painter, and I am the image that was painted. I'm the only one who can fix this. Right? Nobody else is able to do it. And that's why it was specifically the Logos. It was specifically the Son, and not the Father, and not the Holy Spirit. Because it was in His image and likeness that He did it. By His Word, by His Logos, we were created. And by His Logos, by His Word, we were recreated, we were renewed. I want to point out a few random points and come back with something that we need to take into account, just from this, this passage. One, we're allowed to question God. Okay, look at how St. Mary dealt with the angel. Okay, she says to him, how can this be? The angel didn't look at her and say, I can't believe you just asked that. Right, it looks like God found the wrong person. When really it's, it's the opposite. Because God was looking at the whole range of the history of humanity for one woman who he thought was worthy of this task. Right? We sing this in the Tazbaha, right? The Father looked down from heaven and found no one like you. We praise and glorify Him and exalt Him forever. This is what we say about St. Mary. No one was like you. And so clearly He's saying, this is somebody you can emulate. St. Mary didn't do it though with sarcasm, right? She didn't do it having done something wrong and trying to cover up for it like we do, right? Instead she was saying, I don't get it, right? This doesn't make sense to me. I just want you to know I'm a virgin. I don't know how it is that you think that I can have a child, right? But she had, she asked with purity of heart. She asked in love, and the Lord responded. And he said, don't worry that you don't get it. The Holy Spirit will overshadow you, and the power of the Most High will come upon you, and you will conceive and give birth, right? And she says, I don't think she understood it any better <laughs> at the end of that explanation, but she still said, okay, be it done to me according to your will. So we're allowed to ask questions of God. We don't need to, to approach God as though to ask Him is a, is, is a horrible thing. He's not a tyrant, okay? He's willing to accept from us. The difference between her and Zacharias, right, is that Zacharias was in disbelief, right? St. Mary had a disposition of belief saying, I believe, I don't get it, but I believe. Whereas Zacharias was like, this is ridiculous, right? And that was a difference. God's ways don't always make sense. Sometimes, when it doesn't make sense, it makes the point much stronger, right? Look at, it says, this is the sixth month, when he talks about Elizabeth, of her that was thought barren. Because on a rational human level, it makes no sense that this old woman has conceived and is in her six months. This is also why in the Old Testament, Elijah pours water, if you remember the story, on the offering. He wanted it to not make sense. Because when something is all rational and so easily understood, we tend to dismiss it. We forget that it was God who made that. Even the rational thing was made by God. We tend to discredit God if something is rational, as though because it's rational, it's not something to do with God. So sometimes God, just to make His point more strongly with us, will make it irrational. And say, yep, it doesn't make sense. She's old. She's already gone through menopause. Right? That is what Elizabeth was saying when the Lord was saying this is going to happen. He's like, it doesn't make, it can't happen. But he's saying, I'll make it happen because I designed you. I can do that. I am the author of life. And it was important for us to understand that this needed to be a virginal birth. Because there's a big difference between a man becoming God and God becoming man. 
if it was not a virginal birth, if the Virgin Mary had conceived in a natural method and not by virgin birth, it means that she was con- she had conceived a normal human being that God would come upon and turn into a God. Then this is no longer God. This is a superhuman. This is some kind of special breed of humanity that is foreign both to us and to God. He's some new third existence that we don't know about. This isn't a recreation of the image and likeness. This is not a renewal of man. It's a new creation. And that is not going to save us. Okay, That is not going to fix us. If the ant was given the gift of becoming human, okay, if I take a new breed of super ant, then it's no longer the original ant and it's no longer the original human. It's a third kind of thing. But God wanted, this is, is to understand his love, he wanted man to recover this identity. He wanted specifically for his creation to recover who it was supposed to be. So, what makes us lose this? What was the reason why God had to renew this from the very beginning? We said it was sin. Okay, and this is why the Catholic epistle, the universal epistle that we read today, is monumentally important. Because, I want to read to you what we said. If we say that we have communion with Him, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie. We do not tell the truth. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous so that He will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you are a creation of God, if this is what God gave us, which is His own image and likeness, and that we lost it by sin, and we were these lepers on this colony waiting for the doctor to come and heal us, then the question is, what are you doing with your image and likeness that you have received? Are you going back to the same behaviors that caused you to be diseased in the first place? Or are you making the decision to be healthy? Because if you are deciding to walk in darkness, you cannot say that you have communion with God. If you decide to live in sin, you cannot claim to love God. You cannot claim to have any kind of fellowship with Him Because God is light, like it just says right after it, but light as He is in the light. There is no fellowship between darkness and light. So you can't claim that you love God while actively seeking and pursuing a life that contradicts Him. You can't make that claim. It's a lie. You can't say, I want to have communion with God and then actively make decisions that go against it. Falling in sin is completely different from choosing to sin. It's one thing to say, I believe in this, I know that this is the right thing, and I'm going to try to do this, but my humanity sometimes gets the best of me. Okay? That is understandable. And we just get back up. That's why it says, confess your sins, and everything is fine. It's different from saying, I'm going to do whatever I want. Because to do that is to elect to be a leper again. It's to say that I don't care that he's a physician. I don't care that he's given the remedy. I don't care that this human has made me as an ant become a human. I don't care. This is why sin is a big deal. 
it's not just a big deal because of some legalistic list that you that you grew up with as a child. That's not what it is. It's that you're going completely against this loving gift that the Lord has saved you. And so, how do we come to know Him? If we keep His commandments. If I say, if I do not keep His commandments and say I know Him, then I am a liar. This is an unequivocal <laughs> expression. There is no kindness in St. John. And St. John is known as the, the nice disciple, right? He's the, the friendly one, the huggy one, right? And yet the one who is the more like thub-thub and friendly guy, he is saying, anyone who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in that person. We have to live the truth, okay? We have to recover our image and likeness if we want to be able to have a life. If you prefer to be an animal, he gives you the free will to do so. If you prefer to be an ant, he gives you the free will to be so. But my question to you would be, why would you want to be that? When you have the ability to be a king, why would you choose to be a pauper? If God has given you by grace to be his own son and daughter, to be heirs of his kingdom, to allow you to be royalty and priest unto himself, why on earth would you choose the opposite? So reflect on your lives and ask yourself if you keep His commandment and if you desire to be like Him, which is perfection. And what is the commandment? To love God above all and my neighbor as myself. That's the commandment, right? Is to not live for you. To not live for your own ego, for your own thoughts, your own will, your own self-gratification. Instead, He's saying, don't do that. Live to a higher standard. Live to the standard of truth, and live to a standard where your neighbor is as important, if not more important, than you. These are the happiest of people. Look around you and look at those. I've met people who are in poverty, who give and are so delighted, and who are so joyful. They did a study on, on a lot of the homeless people in, in downtown L.A., and they found that rich people were less likely to give than the poor people. And I know people who have witnessed this, where they saw that they gave somebody food as, as, a, as a service and watched that same homeless person go give that food to other people. I know when I served at Holy Resurrection, when we used to go out every Thursday to, to give some food to the homeless, the homeless were looking out for each other. They're like, there's a person who sleeps on that corner and there's a person who sleeps at that corner. Can you please make sure, if you have enough, can you please put it out for them? These were the things that they did. Ask yourself, do you live the gospel? Do you live in truth? Are you choosing to be an ant or are you choosing to be a son of God? Because this is how we know that we are in him. Whoever claims to abide in him should also live just as he lived. And glory be to our God forever and ever. Amen.